Well, welcome to church. My name's Josh. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Les Murdy Baptist Church, and it's a great uh, privilege to get to talk to you guys this morning. Uh, we're in a series currently where we're reviewing our yearly theme. We said to each other, uh, we said as a church this year we're going to commit to look into this idea that we want to develop a spiritual heart because people who are growing in their spiritual journey with Jesus generally are becoming more loving in their relationship with God and more loving towards other people. And to help us, because that's a very vague thing, what does it mean to grow? We said let's pick four areas and let's all just say, hey, I'm going to commit to one of these areas over this year to put a little bit of focus onto. Because as I said last week, as humans, when we want to change something and we actually want to change it, what do we need to do? Slow down. Take time. Because what can happen is we can try to change a lot of things at once. And when we try to change a lot of things at once, nothing changes. So the four areas we said, hey, let's try and put a little bit of energy into this year. were quality time with God, evidence of the fruit of the Spirit, Action when God speaks and sitting in another person's narrative. And the hope is, is that if you were able over this year to grow in one of those areas, give one of those areas a little bit more attention, that you would see in your own life, your own relationship with Jesus and with other people, you'd see some growth, you'd see some health, you'd see some things develop. Last week we looked at quality time with God and evidence of fruit of the Spirit. And the takeaways from that were basically, as you spend time with God, hopefully uh, you'll find yourself becoming more loving a more kind person, and that that will be evident through the fruit of the Spirit. If the Holy Spirit is active and alive in you and me, the outcome and the evidence that that is happening to other people is they should be looking at you and say, hey, Josh is more loving, more kind, more peaceful, more joyful, more, you know, we should be seeing that. And we ask ourselves the question, hmm, if that's not happening in our day-to-day living, if we find ourselves actually becoming more unloving, more unkind, more unjoyful, maybe we need to ask some questions and say, hang on, are we really allowing God to be at work in our day-to-day living? So this week, uh, this week yes, we're going to look at uh, the last two, which is um, action when God speaks and sitting in another person's narrative. So if you chose one of those two, hopefully today will be helpful for you. And today, compared to last week, is taking a little bit of a different approach. I'm going to share part of my story growing up, and then we're going to have a look at Peter, if you couldn't tell from the link with the kids' story. And it worked out perfectly. It doesn't always work out this way, because the passage I want to focus in on is the one that we saw in the kids' story this morning. So that was just beautiful. Um, And hopefully, as we explore my story and Peter's story, you can drag some stuff out for yourself. um, Because really, these last two that we're looking at, action when God speaks and sitting in another person's narrative, These two things, when they are combined, are the reason, if you are a Jesus follower this morning, that you and I are a Jesus follower. If you're someone who is still exploring faith or not quite sure what to do with Jesus, then these two areas really should be the things that draw you towards Jesus and draw you to see that life with him really can be better. So let's just start with me telling you a little bit of a story. Uh, Growing up, I grew up in Kalgoorlie. Who's been to Kalgoorlie? Yeah... Great, isn't it? So much to do. Um, when you grow up, there is. When you're visiting, eh, it's, not, yeah, it's a hole in the ground. That's pretty impressive. Um, but for me, growing up um, in Kalgoorlie, I was there from about 93 to 2010. Um, I loved growing up in Kalgoorlie. I mean, everything was really close. Out bush, you could just go and you were out bush into the emptiness of creation. Um, it's very much not like here because here is trees and everything. In Kalgoorlie, you can look and see nothing for a long time around you, it's great. Um, Which means we could go out bush and have a bunch of fun. Uh, Sports was a big thing. Country town and sports is always huge because what else are you gonna do? Um, So growing up as a kid, it was wonderful. Lots of sport, lots of space, everything was close. It was actually really nice growing up in Kalgoorlie. So as I was growing up uh, in Kalgoorlie, uh, I was sort of 
uh, trying to figure out what faith meant to me. And when I was about 16 years old, I started to test, do I actually want to follow Jesus? So this is me when I'm 17, but it's, yeah, it's a good-looking photo, so I picked it. Um, but when I was a year older than this, um, oh, it's not as good on there. It's way better on the back screen. That no, doesn't matter. Um, point being, I was, once, <laughs> I was once beardless, so I do have a chin. I try to convince my kids all the time that I don't have a chin under here. They keep finding it. Um, so me and, me and my mother, that's when I was 17. But when I was 16, um, so a year before this, uh, I was trying to figure out my faith. I was trying to figure out, well, do I actually believe uh, in Jesus or not? Uh, I was a pastor's son. My friends uh, from the Baptist College were at church and everything. And um, I got invited to go and be a youth leader when I was 16 years old. It was just sort of the natural progression. You go to youth, you grow up, you become a youth leader. And then you think to yourself, finally, I'm in charge. I get to be the one throwing the dodgeballs. I get to organise the crazy nights. Um, and the youth pastor looked at me and my mates and well, you know, basically said to us, hey, you want to come be a youth leader? And we went, oh. And he looked at us and went, well, what else are you going to do? What's your Friday night looking like? Come along. So we got to go and be youth leaders. Now, here's what my life looked like. I'm trying to figure out my faith. I just turned 16 years old. And this is sort of what a typical week would look like in my life. Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday, I would moped to school and meet this cute girl named Marnell, who would also moped to school. We like moped buddies. It's really how the relationship grew through mopeds. Um, it was really awesome and fun. Uh, now, you may notice I didn't say Wednesday. Wednesdays were great. When I was in year 11 and 12 on Wednesdays, there was no school. It was really nice. Um, our principal, uh, Dan McCormack, who's still there, I checked the website the other day, um, Dan McCormack, he had something which he like, kept saying again and again, we, are, we have an adult ethos. All right? We trust that you will be adults. We're 16, 17 years old at this point. And he says, we're going to trust you. So Wednesdays was actually flexi time. What that meant was is there were no classes, no bells, nothing formalized on a week-to-week basis, but that's when you would have study groups, that's when you would have like, speakers come in and do stuff. So what that meant for me on Wednesdays is a lot of the time I was at my friend's house um, and would sometimes go to school when it was needed. When it was ball season, that's the day we'd go and learn how to dance and everything, and I still can't remember any of that. Um, but it was really great. Um, so Wednesdays for me, going to friend's house, studying at Hub One, going to seminars, dance classes, all of that. It meant ma- mostly hanging out with Marnell. That was sort of the gist of my Wednesdays and that. So everything was going well. Um, everything sort of hanging together, youth leader, school, things happening. But there's part of me that still wasn't quite aligning to the Christian value set as of yet. Um, so Friday nights were great. We'd go and we'd tell young people about Jesus, and it'd be really awesome. There'd be 40, 50, 60 young kids coming in, pumping up. Yeah, pastor would get up there. Youth pastor would jump up, give this convicting message. And then me and a couple of my mates would finish off Friday night and then would go out. Um, And some of our activities included, and this was not regular, regular, but enough. Uh, Every now and then, uh, I'll go out with a couple of my mates. We'll go do some doughies. There's a couple of spaces in Kalgoorlie. You could go and just fang it around a little bit. Um, near one of the ovals there, the oasis, there was this unsealed park. This is me as a rebel, right? This is my rebel years. Now, I am actually 16 in this one. My friend Julia and I thought it would be really, really cool to dress up as a goth. What do you guys reckon? I, I don't think it's aged as well as I was hoping. I do have a cross of sorts. So this is my, my, rebe- my rebellious. And I recognize, look, my story in terms of how far people go in life is very, very minor. But this is my story, all right? So this was me rebelling, rebelling. So I'd go ride with mates doing doughies and whatnot. Um, not proud of this. A couple of times we'd go and we'd put people's bins on their roofs. 
Because who doesn't want to wake up with their wheelie bin on a roof? Everyone loves that, right? I feel, as an adult, I, f- I feel awful about it now. Like, those poor homeowners. At the time, we thought we were just hilarious to each other. Um, you used to be able to go around and kick the light pole so they'd turn off. Yep. Go on here. We go, bang! Try and get them to turn off. They'll turn back on again later. Now, one night, that was not so good. Um, one night, me and my mates decided, hey, look at that trampoline. Wouldn't it be hilarious to tie the trampoline to a back of a car and pull it behind? Right? No? Yeah. Hilarious at the time? Not hilarious now. So I tied a trampoline, not our trampoline, because they left it out the front of their house, um, to a car, and my mate was in the back holding onto it with a rope. <laughs> and as it pulled it along, it flipped upside down, sparked flying, and the worst part of all was, <laughs> as we're flying along with this trampoline going behind us, we take the corner. And of course, momentum takes the trampoline, the guy can't hold onto the rope, and it goes whoosh, and flies, thank goodness, into a building site. So it wasn't into someone's house, but it went flying into that thing. Um, yeah, it was not a great... It was, obviously, at the time, I thought it was amazing. But now, in reflection, not a great time in my life. Um, but do you want to know, this is interesting. So, you know, this stuff's happening behind the scenes. It's just... It is what it is. Um, this is what my youth pastor and a couple of key youth leaders did to me and my mate, because they sort of had their suspicions, right? They, they had their suspicions. This is their response to us after a couple of things. They chose to love us. They talked to us. They sympathised with us. They said, hey, we understand you're young blokes trying to figure out your place in the world. There's a lot going on. We want you to be able to talk to us and whatever. And then they asked us really hard questions. They didn't tell us what to do. They were very smart. And parents, you know this, don't you? When you get to a certain age with your child, it's not smart to tell them what to do. It's smart to ask them the question. To ask them, well, how did you think that went? What, what do you think would happen there? And allow them to figure out for themselves and to come to an honest response. And the question that really stood out to me anyway, and the hard question that was asked, especially by one particular youth leader, was basically, um, he would just come up to us and say, what is God saying to you? And at first, I'd just sort of brush it off. But as I started to discover more about Jesus, as I read my Bible a little bit more, as I was hanging out with the right group of people and everything, that question really started to bother me. What is God saying to you? And what I felt over time, as I started to unpack my relationship with God, I felt over time, this is sort of what God was saying to me. He was saying, Josh, what are you doing? You see what life looks like with me, but you keep wanting to do your own thing. Where do you think this is going to lead? And on a couple of nights where I went out to parties and I got to be a part of um, some, some spaces with school friends, I saw where life without God leads. And I started to have those light bulbs click in my head to go, is that what I really want? And I started to go, not really, that's not what I want. Then at 16 and a half, I actually accepted Jesus as my Lord and Saviour. I had an experience with the Holy Spirit at a youth camp and everything just sort of fell into place. And suddenly I had this new outlook on life. Now there were those bad habits I was still trying to shift around and as we all are, there are some bad habits I still try to deal with today. But eventually, the love of my youth leaders, my church community, my friends and seeking to hear God's voice actually led me to discover a rich relationship with Jesus, a better outlook on life, a new way to live. But this only happened because people around me loved me enough to act when God told them something and to sit with me in my narrative. People were in my life who were listening to God, who were praying for me and who were, when I was not at my best, they were present. They were hanging out with me. They wanted to be in proximity with me and in community with me. 
And the thing that I reckon is so powerful about doing this, about asking God what he wants and acting on it, around sitting with people, is it's what we see in Jesus' life. It's what Jesus actually did with his followers and his disciples. In a document called John, written by a man named John, uh, one of the 12 disciples listed as following Jesus. So John was with Jesus. He was with the 12. He was seeing everything. He's called uh, Jesus' closest friend. John records for us the life of Jesus, what he said, what he did, how he responded to things. And in this document that we have, we see this lovely man named Peter. John uses uh, the name Peter 33 times. And this is basically, let me give you an overview to bring us into our passage for today, an overview of John, uh, Peter's life through the lens of John. So this is what we understand about Peter. So Peter's brother, Andrew, we believed he'd found the Messiah. So Jesus is going around, starting up his ministry, and Andrew, who is Peter's brother, goes, I reckon Jesus is the one we need to take us from where we are to where we need to be. So he goes and he gets his brother and says, Peter, you've got to come and meet Jesus. This guy's amazing. So Peter comes along, goes, yeah, I'm going to follow Jesus. And over time, he starts to witness miracles. He experiences new teaching. There's a moment in the, follow, in the life of Jesus, you've got to go and read it. Um, Jesus is doing so much stuff, and it's so radical that people start to go, I don't think I can follow you. And people actually start to desert Jesus. Uh, you may not have heard that story before, but people actually looked at Jesus and went, I don't think this new thing you're trying to do, I don't think I can commit to that. And there's this great moment where Jesus looks at the 12 who have been closest to him and he looks at them and says, do you guys want to run away as well? Like, do you want to go? And Peter has this great moment where he speaks up and he goes, well, where else would we go? What else would we do? Our lives have been ruined by seeing what we have seen. Where else would we go but follow you, Jesus? So Peter gets a bit of a reputation within the group as he's the one that sort of does stuff. So as they approach Jesus' last moment, skipping forward in the story, Jesus is about to go to the cross. If you've never been part of the, uh, or heard the Jesus story before, Jesus goes on a cross, dies, comes back to life. It's the reason uh, the church exists. But before they go to the cross, as they're gathered around together in these last moments, Jesus has this teaching, where, this teaching moment with the disciples where he gets down and he washes their feet. And they go, oh, this is awkward. Someone really should have been on top of that and washed our feet. And now Jesus, the one who's leading the whole operation, has got down and he's washing our feet. And Peter has a great moment where he says, no, Jesus, you're too important. You're too powerful. You're too everything. I will not let you wash my feet. And then Jesus says, I got to, mate. And he says, all right, then wash all of me. If you're going to wash, don't just wash my feet, wash everything. And Jesus looks at him and says, okay, okay, <laughs> slow down. Um, later on, uh, as they're in this same scene, they've washed their feet, they're having a supper together, and Jesus says, one of you 12 are actually going to be the reason that the authorities can capture me and take me to the cross. So up until now, Jesus has been saying things that people had been getting angry, and they wanted to kill him, but they just didn't have access to him. They weren't able to do it in the way they wanted. And he looks around at the 12, the people who saw everything, who experienced everything, and he said, actually... The reason I'm going to go to the cross, guys, is because of one of you. And Peter boldly says, um, uh, yeah, Peter boldly says, John, go ask him who he's talking about. <laughs> they love that. Like, you know, when you, someone should say something and you go, you should say something. Who is it? I don't know if he was afraid it was him. I don't know if he wanted to find out and go beat them up. I'm not sure what his motives were, but he's like, find out, John. 
You're the one that's closest. Uh, who is he talking about? And then later on in the story, Jesus has this moment where he says to his disciples, Hey guys, this is going to be the last time I'm with you in this context. I'm going to go somewhere and you're not going to be able to follow me. And Peter just feels like, that doesn't sit right with me. Like, where are you going that we can't go? The last three years, Jesus, we have only been following you. The whole point of the, um, in that, so that set up was that the rabbi and the students, the people would follow the rabbi wherever he went. The idea was basically for the rabbi to be able to duplicate themselves into their students. And now Jesus is saying, I'm going somewhere and you can't follow me. And Peter goes, that doesn't sit right with me. And he says, no matter where you go, I will follow you. Isn't that the right thing to say in that situation? You say I can't, oh, I can, Lord. I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus says, you know what? That's a really bold claim, um, but you can't. And then he says something even bigger than I'm just going to follow you. He says, I'll lay down my life for you. Jesus, Peter goes to Jesus, I am willing to die for you. I mean, what does that say? The last three years, he has seen, experienced, and been ruined by this time with Jesus. That he's at a point where he's saying, no matter what happens, I'm with you and I will die for you. That's a big statement. A huge statement. And Jesus says to Peter, and I just, I don't know when we die and go to heaven. If, like, when we go, do we get to see replays of this scene? Like, Jesus looks at him and he says, forget about dying for me. You're going to just deny knowing me. You've made a claim, I'm willing to lay down my life. And Jesus looks at him and says, you're in a little while, not too, in, the, in the next little bit, you're going to deny just knowing me. You, you're not going to want to be associated with me. Like that's got to cut. Peter spent three years traveling with Jesus, getting to know him, see what he does, see how he lives, experience miracles. And then Jesus looks at him and says, you're not even going to say that you know who I am. That, that's got that's to hurt. Then Jesus is about to be arrested. And Peter defends Jesus. And if you've read the story, it's really interesting. He goes and who does he attack? He takes out the high priest's servant. Not the guards who are there, but the unarmed servant. That's always interesting to me. Like, what a brave man Peter was at going for the unarmed person. But anyway, big brave boy. Um, then Jesus is arrested. And just like Jesus said, Peter denies knowing Jesus. People said to him, hey, you're the one that was spending time with Jesus, right? And he goes, Jesus never heard of him. And then Jesus goes to the cross, dies, his body's brought down, put into a tomb, it is sealed, and, Je and Peter is stuck, gutted. Absolutely gutted. He thought Jesus was going to lead the movement. He thought he was going to be there for all the action. He said he was willing to die for this man. And now Jesus is dead in a tomb. And the last moments that he was on this earth, Peter wasn't the victorious going out there telling people about how your life can change with God. His last moments on earth are saying, I don't even know that man. It would be absolutely terrible. But then Jesus comes back to life. And uh, we're going to pick up the story in John 21, 15 to 25. But before we go through this, just to, to talk about um, our, our theme for the day. If you chose the areas of action when God speaks or sitting in another person's narrative, then I want to encourage you to, to listen to this story. It's a story of restoration. It's a story that encourages us in our faith to be people of restoration. And if you don't follow Jesus or you've disengaged with your faith for some reason, 
then I want you to listen to this story as well because I believe it can speak to all of us about how we can get restored to right relationship with our Heavenly Father. So this is what it says. It says, When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Peter, Peter, do you love me more than this? So Jesus is back. They're having a meal. Jesus looks at Peter. Because remember, they, they didn't finish in the best space. And he says, do you love me more than this? Yes, Lord, he says, you know that I love you. I love how he says, you know that I love you. Because the evidence from the previous scene would suggest, I don't know if Jesus knows that he loves him. Denied even knowing him. You know that I love you. And Jesus says, feed my lambs. Again, he's asked the second time, Peter, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to Peter, do you love me? Now this is interesting. Peter was hurt. Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, you when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you were older, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he says to Peter, follow me. It's in this moment that Peter has been restored to right relationship with Jesus that is just beautiful. The last moments of Jesus' life, hanging on a cross, about to pass away, Peter is there denying, I don't know him, I don't know him, I don't know him. And then fast forward in the story, Jesus comes back to life, reconnects with Peter, brings him close and says, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me? And it's an undoing of that shame. It's a bringing back into community, proximity. It's a saying, we are in right relationship. And he says to him, follow me. And then this is, I love this, verse 20. Peter turned and he saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. So John, the author, who, the disciple who Jesus loved, the, the closest of the disciples to Jesus. And he looks at John and he says, Lord, what about him? And Jesus answered, if I wanted him to remain alive until I return, what is that of you? You must follow me. And then a rumor spreads. A rumor spreads that this disciple would not die. Isn't that cool? Like, you know, Peter goes, what about him, Lord? And Jesus says loud enough for them to hear. If, he wants, if I want him to stay alive until I come back, what does it matter to you? Why do you care so much? I've asked you to follow me. Don't worry about him. And then everyone obviously heard that and went, John's not going to die, guys. That's pretty cool. Um, and that's not, of course, what happened. He was just trying to make the point, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is you? he just said that to basically say, don't worry about them. I'm worried about you. I mean, that speaks to our comparison all the time, isn't it? Like, we're going well, stuff in our life is going, but what about them, what about them, what about them? And Jesus is saying, don't worry about them. I'm worried about you. And then it finishes off basically saying this testimony is true and a great phrase at the end. Jesus did many other things and if every one of them was written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room to fit the books that is written. I love the ending to John's gospel in that. He's basically saying not only is what I recorded accurate and true, but if we were to record everything, there's so much guys that happened, you have no idea, it wouldn't be able to fill everything. Yeah, it sounds like mine. Hey, buddy. I love hearing children. It's good. Um, now, here's the link in the story that I see between me and Peter. All right, Peter and I, we were living our life. We met Jesus. 
We struggled to change and live under this new way of living that Jesus was calling us to. We failed and we failed again. And the response was proximity and restoration. Proximity and restoration. Proximity and restoration. People chose to be close to me and restore me again and again. Jesus brought Peter back on side and said he's restored. And not only does Jesus actually restore Peter, but he actually says, hey, you are going to be in charge of this operation going forward, which is interesting to me. Peter's the one that denies knowing Jesus. Peter's the one with the loud mouth. Peter's the one with the action. He cut someone's ear off and forced Jesus to do a miracle. Jesus is the, uh, Peter's the one who's, Rah! and he's the one who, if you're looking at the story, go, well, he's blown his shot. If they were looking at a succession plan and Jesus was going to leave one of the 12 behind and you saw what Peter did in the last scene, you'd go, well, not him. And what does he do? He brings Peter back inside and says, now I need you to love and feed my sheep. I need you to now be in charge of the whole operation. When we talk about action when God speaks, when we talk about sitting in another person's narrative, the outcome of these two being combined is journeying with other people as they learn to follow Jesus, introducing people to Jesus, or restoring people to community. What I see in my life and what I see in the life of Peter is that genuine Christian community, people who say they follow Jesus and are listening to his voice, acting when he speaks, and willing to sit with people in their pain, proximity and restoration is part of what occurs within those relationships. Evangelism occurs within those relationships. Restoration, life, we get to share our life with those around us. And when we're listening to God speak and when we're sitting with people, even though we may not agree with them, but we're just being present and close to them, the outcome of these two coming together is actually healthiness as we deal, as we help people journey towards Jesus or help restore people to community. So if you chose action when God speaks for this year, here's, here's some stuff for you. Peter's trajectory of wanting to do what is right and failing what is right is failing and going and going again. Right? That's his, his trajectory of his life is he, he tries and tries and tries, fails and fails and fails. And Jesus' response is to then reinstate him, put him in the driver's seat and put him in charge of the whole operation. So when we talk about action when God speaks, when we talk about being obedient to Christ, what can happen in our minds Wrong, probably more wrongly than rightly, but over time, especially if you've been a Christian for a while or you've journeyed with Jesus for a while, what starts to happen over time is that as we go, how do I be obedient to the voice of the Holy Spirit? How do I listen to God and act it out into my life? What can happen over time is we can start to think we really need to listen to God and make sure the right outcome occurs. And we may not say it in those terms, but we mean it. Like We, we see God move in some big way and we start to think, the more I pray, the more I listen, the more I do, there should be some results for that. And what can happen if we're not careful, what can happen if we're not careful is that we think that we're responsible for the outcome. But obedience to God, listening and acting when he speaks, is actually all about being obedient to the action, not the outcome. Our responsibility is to action, not outcome. So when I'm saying acting when God speaks to us. What I'm saying is that in our lives as we go about our day-to-day living, there's moments where we have an opportunity to connect what God's doing in our lives to the people around us. Maybe you've been reading some scripture and you read some stuff around love or patience or kindness or you're developing something and something happens in your workplace and you think to yourself, "Mm, I think God's given me something so I can extend it here in this place. 
And maybe part of what you're trying to do is just simply love somebody to extend an act of goodness towards them. And then the person looks at us and goes, I don't want that, thank you. Have you ever done that before? You just like, you've offered someone something and because of their hurt and their pain or the situation, they've rejected it. That's not your fault. You were obedient in the action of giving. Our responsibility was to performing the action. But if we see someone in our life struggling, if we have someone that we're in community and proximity with and we feel God tap us on the shoulder, shoulder, we feel something within our spirit to act and we do not act, that's when we've missed the mark. That's when we've missed the moment. So God doesn't hold us accountable to the outcome of being obedient to him. He actually holds us, to, he holds us accountable to acting, to doing it, to doing the action. That's what we concern ourselves with. We've got Alpha coming up uh, next year, uh, term two. We had a great meeting, uh, a few of us together to chat through uh, what that's going to look like. And I had the opportunity during last week to chat with Zach Gagler from Alpha. Um, if you don't know what Alpha is, it's just a conversation with people about faith. Um, and next year we're going to be running it. And the one thing Zach said, which you've got to be really encouraging people to do, is we're going to be asking us as a church community, if you call LBC home, we're going to be saying, hey, who in your life do you want to bring into this space to hear about Jesus and to connect with some faith? And what he says that churches can encourage and champion is being obedient to God is recognizing who in your life you feel you have proximity and relationship with to make the ask, but not be responsible for the outcome. And Zach says what some churches do really well is champion the fact that, hey, how many people did you ask, not how many people came? Does that make sense? So when it comes to our role in this, our responsibility is just to ask because if we start to think we're responsible for the outcome, what we've actually done is put ourselves in the place of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit's job to change people, not us. But we can feel over time sometimes like, oh, I feel like we should be changing people. No, 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 that's, that's God's job. Our job is just to be obedient to Him, to respond to Him, to love others and to be obedient to Him. It's all about action not outcome. So in Peter's life, in Peter's life, when it comes to the action and not the outcome, he was just trying to do what he felt God was calling him to do. I'm going to lay down my life for you. Who's this person who's going to betray you? I'm going to defend you and attack this person, Jesus. I'm, I, he's just going within his framework and his understanding at that point, especially before the cross and resurrection. He's just going, what do I think Jesus is asking of me? And he acts. Beautiful. Now, some of his outcomes weren't as helpful, but he was at least trying to be obedient. Then after the resurrection, it starts to make more sense. He starts to click on and go, ah, we're not talking Old Testament retribution, are we, Jesus? Jesus is like, no, no, not that. I'm talking about proximity and love and restoration. And then Peter gets on board and starts moving forward. But in Peter's life, he was someone who was trying to be obedient and act within what he felt God was calling him to do. So the question for you and me, if that's your one, is, what is your response when God speaks to you? When you read the Bible, when you're walking in nature, when you're praying, when you're in community, maybe at a life group or you're chatting about some faith issues and you feel that God's speaking to you, what is your default response? Hopefully it's towards action. And just keep an eye on it. If you're starting to feel you need to be responsible for those results, that might be Jesus tapping on the shoulder saying, hang on, you're in the wrong, you're in the wrong position there, buddy. So that's action when God speaks. Now what about sitting in another person's narrative? Here's a really key observation that is very helpful for those of us who have been in faith for a long time. 
Jesus was really okay with Peter being in process. So Peter, through, through Jesus' ministry, was still figuring it all out. He was coming to understanding who Jesus was, what he was doing. He was in process. Jesus was okay with Peter being who he was, allowing Peter to grow without needing to overcorrect his actions or to throw him out for someone who could do better. And I mean, what speaks better to our culture than when they stuff up, get the next one in, right? In the workplace, absolutely. CEO stuffs up, that person stuffs up, this does this, this does it. Get them out, next person in, and then just repeat the mistake sometimes. Um, this happens over here, get them, cut them, next one. Our culture is all about, well, let's just keep going forward, advancing and everything. And then we have Peter, who's in process, trying to figure out his life. In the eyes of success, denying Jesus is not a good move within what's happening there. And Jesus' response is not to and cut him. It's to journey with him and restore him. It's to love him enough to want to see him succeed. So Jesus was totally fine with his disciples being in process. And this is just, um, if, you, if you haven't been Jesus follower for long, you may not get this. But for those of us who follow Jesus for a long time, we've got to be really careful in this area. Because we may have come a long way compared to where we were, but here's the drift that happens. We started here, and we're here. But when we look at, at our world, when we look at the younger generation, when we look at the people who are still hurting, we start to go, well, if I'm here, why aren't you here? I've handled that issue. Why haven't you handled that issue? I understand this now. Why don't you understand that yet? Yes, you were young, and I remember back in the day when I was doing this, that, and whatever, but I'm here now, and I'm going to look down at you and say, you are not doing it right. And what can happen is this, this judgmentalism can grow in us. And if we're not around people who think differently to us, and we think this is how the world works, and this is the only way that it operates, we look at the rest of what's happening and go, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're immature, you're wrong. And it's like, Peter, what about him, Lord? Jesus looks at Peter, don't worry about him. You've got enough of a mess to deal with here, buddy. Don't worry about them. Love them, be with them, but don't try and judge them. And here's what I want you to hear today, and especially if you're someone who maybe you struggle with the Christian faith or you haven't been following Jesus for long, you're trying to figure out how to be faithful, but also here's what I want you to hear today if this is the area you want to improve in. I believe that your story deserves someone who loves Jesus being with you, no matter your past, your struggles, or your demons, so to speak. Every person, all of us, all humanity, deserves someone in their life who loves Jesus, who's willing to sit with us in our story, in our mess, in our pain, and in our hurt. We all deserve that. And what that means for those of us that follow Jesus is that we have to be willing and wanting to sit with people who are hurting and who haven't got everything figured out yet and be okay with the mess. We need to be okay with sitting with people who don't see the world that we do. As a follower of Jesus, we need to understand we don't change people, the Holy Spirit changes people, but we just need to be in proximity to people and we just need to love people, be present with people. So if you don't know Jesus today or you've disengaged with your faith and the church has been responsible for this, I'm so sorry. Like genuinely, and we're going to come to a wrap-up time now, but I just want to speak. If you don't follow Jesus yet, or you maybe have started to disengage with your faith, 
The church may have had a part to play in that. And if that's the case, I really am sorry. The church is a bunch of people who are still in process, who are still trying to figure out, and we don't always get it right all the time. We say stupid things. We give Bible verses when we should just be giving our silence. We give our opinions when we really should just sit on our hands and listen. The church, the church has made a bunch of errors in that way. And if that's part of the reason why you don't feel safe in these sort of communities or you're still trying to figure out how to engage in our community, I'm sorry for that. If for whatever reason you feel that you're not safe to share your story with someone who follows Jesus, that's, that's, you know, that's something we need to work on. If you ever feel because of your past actions or your current circumstances, or your sexual orientation, or your past divorces, or your trust in science, or your questions about the Bible, or perhaps your criticisms of the church in the past have been not handled well, I'm really sorry about that. The church should be the first place that us as people, broken people, can come to and find someone who's willing to sit with us and listen to us, even if we don't agree together on the same things. Jesus died for everyone. Jesus loves everyone. Jesus calls everyone to follow him. And there is nothing you could have done. There's no view you hold. And there's nothing you could ever do that could separate you from Jesus' love for you. And the church in the past has not, been done, has not done well. And we've put up barriers that have excluded people from his grace and Jesus says, I died for the world. I love the world. I'm for the world. And as a church, we want to love the world. We want to be for the world. We want to sit with everybody and share with them, this is the difference that Jesus has made in my life, and he can make that same difference in yours. Not everyone's going to think the same. Not everyone's going to feel the same. Not everyone's going to want the same things. But the faith that we have, the church that we have, the history we have is not built on seeing everything the same. It's built on a single event in time when Jesus was dead and then he wasn't. The expectation that he would stay dead was broken. And Jesus came back to life and that changed the game. And now we live as new people. For those of us that say, I follow Jesus, we follow Jesus. We live as new people because Jesus is no longer dead. And the parts of us that are ugly, the parts of us that are broken, the parts of us that are just not where they need to be, Jesus comes to us and holds us and says, bring that stuff to me. Let's work on that together. But Jesus can't be with us in person like a physical body, so that's where he calls his church. And Jesus looks at his church and says, you need to go to those who feel broken, hurt and displaced, and you need to be there for them because I want to be with them and you are my body. When we are obedient to the voice of God and when we are willing to sit in another person's narrative, we are acting out the very grace that Jesus gave to the world, his love, his death and his resurrection. But to be that sort of community, we need to be willing to not have everything go our way, to be willing for everything not to always be seen the way that we want it to be seen. We have to extend love and be willing to listen no matter the voices that come back. So as we conclude today, I'd just love to pray for you. If you don't follow Jesus and you would like to, I'd love to have a conversation with you about what that looks like. If you've disengaged with your faith and you want to re-engage, I want to pray for you just now. 
And if you're someone who's been following Jesus for a while and you feel engaged and you really want to be working more in this area, I want to encourage you. What is God asking you to do and how can you sit with the people in your world, in your home, in your family, at work, or within your friendship circles? What can you do to be the love of Jesus? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your action of love on the cross. Thank you for the power of resurrection that allows us to have right and restored relationship with you. Because you are alive and you've given us the Holy Spirit, we get to live this life in relationship with you, being obedient to your voice and sitting with others who are hurting, who are displaced and who need a voice. Lord God, for those of us today who have engaged with our faith a long time and are feeling challenged to sit with people who don't see the world that we do, may you give us people this week to sit with that don't see the world the way that we do. For those of us who are sitting here today and who have disengaged from our faith, Lord, I pray that you will just re-light that faith candle within them. That you will give them opportunities to discover your faithfulness and presence this week. And for those Jesus who are sitting here going, I don't know if I want to follow, but there's something about Jesus that I want to explore. I pray, God, that you will reveal yourself to them. And that they understand that following you is not about being perfect. It's not about getting everything right. It's just about looking at the life of Jesus and deciding that I want to follow and look at the life of Jesus and saying, I want to be like that. In your name and for your glory. Amen.